This evening we are looking at 1 John chapter 5, the first three verses. 1 John chapter 5, the first three verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. If you notice this uh, uh, argument, if you were to say, or the logic, if you were to say, that John has been presenting to us all along, the sign of a genuine believer is a threefold aspect. One is belief in God, who he is. Secondly, obeying what he tells us to do. And an example of obeying what he tells us to do is loving one another. So these three aspects, belief, obedience, and love, if you notice, he constantly you know, puts this across in different formats right through his epistle as tests, if you were to say, to find out whether we really believe in him or whether we have really responded to him. So these are not just uh, uh, arbitrary tests, but these are linked up tests, you know, because we cannot believe in Jesus without loving the Father and his children. And we cannot love the Father without obeying his commands and overcoming the world. And we cannot overcome the world without believing in Jesus. These are the thoughts that he gets across to us in this particular chapter. So when you're speaking about believing in God, okay, now believe in the incarnation is the important aspect. It's not just uh, I believe in God. The scripture tells us, isn't it? Even the demons believe that there is one God and that doesn't make them believers. But to believe in the incarnation involves birth from God. In other words, this is what God has done in our lives. So we come to the understanding that yes, Jesus came into this world and to be born of God involves loving God. If we say we love God, if we say we have responded to him, then there's a natural reciprocation of our love for what God has done for us. And to love God involves loving his children. Okay. This is the three things that are put together. If you're part of the family of God, you love the fellow people in the family. Now, whoever believes, when it says whoever believes, it's not just the head knowledge, remember? It is the confession of your faith. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we read this, isn't it? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Now, the tense that is used for believing is in the present tense, and the tense that is used for being born is in the perfect tense. Now, this is important. Let me explain that to you, okay? This shows that believing is the consequence and not the cause of the new birth. When you say it's believing in the present tense, what you are saying is, if a person is born of God, then he continues to believe. It's not that he believed once in a way. It's not that he believed once upon a time. But if a person is a believer in the present tense, he continues to believe. Whereas when it speaks about who was born of God, it speaks about a perfect tense. 
In other words, it speak about uh, an evidence that has actually happened. This took place, you know, it's in the perfect tense. So, when we are born of God, it's an event that has happened in our lives. We didn't do that step. God is the one who, you know, took that step. He is the one who took the initiative. He came into our lives that is being born of God. That's in the perfect tense. It has happened in the past. It's not that it is happening. It's not a process, but it is something that has been, has taken place and that it's been completed. But the believing is in the continuous, in the present tense to say that, yes, if a person says he is born of God, that God is the one who is living in him, then that person cannot say, I stopped believing. Now, this is an important truth because if you notice whether it's in our culture today, we speak about deconstruction, whether we speak about people from other faiths who have come to know the Lord and then suddenly one day they say, no, we are going back. The question arises, did they really believe? Was it just a momentary decision that they did? To be born of God is something that God does in our lives, where he takes away a heart of stone and puts his Holy Spirit into our lives. So if his Holy Spirit is living in our lives, that's not a question of today I believe, tomorrow I didn't believe. No, no, that's not possible. This is why John says, check it out, check it out. Because if you're going through a process of saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore, the question is, did you believe in him in the first place? And when you're speaking about believing in the first place, you're speaking about, did God do his transformation work in your life? Remember, conversion is not reformation. It's not you deciding for yourself, okay, now I'm going to do like this, which I was not doing earlier. But con conversion is transformation, not something that you do, something you cannot do, God does in your life. That's what the new birth is all about. That's what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus. Unless a person is born from above, he said, you know, how can I enter into my mother's womb the second time? He was thinking about doing something for himself. He said, God says, no, you cannot do anything about it. Conversion is something that God does. He is the one who does this work in our lives. So when you're speaking about the perfect tense of this has happened, then there's no question of if God has done his work in our lives and come into our lives, then God decides, okay, I'm going to step out of your life. In other words, if God is the one who has taken that initiative, he is the one who has come into our lives, he is the one who has started the work, he gives us the assurance that he's going to continue to finish that work till that final day. That's the assurance of our salvation. Now, this doesn't mean when you are speaking about once saved, forever saved, that you can, you know, say, yes, I believed in Jesus, now I can do whatever I want to do. No, because this is saying clearly, if a person is born of God, that he continues to believe. This is the result of being born of God. If your person is you know, doing his own thing and thinking that he's a believer because he said yes somewhere along the line, he or she has not been born of God. That is what he is explaining to us. Remember, John is writing this episode to false teachers who were there in, a, in the presence of false teachers so that they would examine their faith, check it up, correct it, make sure they belong to God. So he's giving us this triad constantly, believing, obedience, love. And he's emphasizing if a person is born from God, God has done his work in, our, in their lives. There's no question of turning back. It's no question of I stopped believing because God is going to continue 
to do his work. The story is told of when missionary John Payton was translating the scripture for the South Sea Islanders. He was unable to find a word in their vocabulary for the concept of believing, trusting, or having faith. He had no idea how he would convey that to them. One day, while he was in his hut translating, a native came running up the stairs into Peyton's study and flopped in the chair exhausted. He said to Peyton, it's so good to rest my whole weight in this chair. And immediately, John Peyton had his word, had his word, faith is resting your whole weight on God. And that word went into the translation of their New Testament and helped those individuals to understand that believing is putting your whole faith, whole weight on God. If God said it, then it's true. So if God said he has done his work and he's asked us, check it out. You know, and if he has done his work, then we have the guarantee. Put your weight on that. If God says, if any man believes, you know, he is said, if any man puts their trust in God, if any man receives him, if any man acknowledges him as their savior, confesses with their mouth, then the scripture tells us that you are saved. So if God has said that in his word, faith is putting your weight on that. Not a question of having doubts to wonder, you know, am I really saved? Now, he's also emphasizing if a person believes that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Remember, when you're thinking about Christ, we are speaking about the Messiah. We are speaking about the Messiah. Believing that this person, Jesus, who came into this world, was not just a normal man was indeed God himself. He is the Messiah, incarnated one, one who came into this world to pay the price for our sins. And that's the meaning of Christ, the anointed one. When you're speaking about the anointed one, the incarnation is in view here. It is not a mere intellectual assent to the fact of the incarnation, but a heart acceptance of all that is implied by this understanding of Jesus came into this world. For what? He came into this world to substitute for me on the cross. So when the Bible speaks about if a person believes this is true, that Jesus is the Christ, that he paid the price, then he continues to believe. There's no question of any garvapsi. There's no question of saying, oh, you know, in a reconstruction. There's no question of, you know, I stopped believing. If you say that, the question arises, were you really saved in the first place? Did God really do his work in your life? Remember, once a baby is born, it cannot be unborn, isn't it? Once you are born, you are born. So just as in physical birth, so too in spiritual birth, a newborn believer cannot be unborn and cease believing. Okay? In other words, you cannot lose your salvation. And also, just as a physical baby is born into a family, so too believers are born into the family, the family of God. And as newborn baby has characteristic features of its parents, Spiritually newborn babies also have characteristics of the Heavenly Father. Think of that. Visions of the physical birth and the spiritual birth. There's no question of being unborn. That is just not possible. So, if in case you have doubts, check it out. Has God done his work? If God has done his work in your life and you've checked it through different areas, that yes, you, know, you have the inward assurance, 
I have the outward and uh, experience of changes that God has done in my life, which I couldn't do myself. And then you have the assurance from His Word. Then put your weight on that. Don't have doubts. You know, don't think you would lose your salvation in your constantly in fear. But rather, rather continue to hold on to Him and trust in Him. The Another translation of being born of God, another biblical translation, puts it down as fathered by God. Fathered by God. In other words, God is the one who has done this work. A baby doesn't decide, isn't it? You know, it's the father, the parents who decide. You know, the baby has no choice on that. You know, when you're thinking about our salvation, God is the one who has taken the initiative. We have been born of God. So everyone that God has saved in the past continues to give evidence of that fact in the present by continuing to believe and show by their lives for one another, love for one another, that they really belong to God. In other words, right belief that God has done this work leads to a right conduct of loving one another. Let me share with you a couple of thoughts that John Piper mentions about you know, the evidence of the new birth. How can we be sure that we are really saved, that God has done this work in our lives? He mentions a couple of tests you know, right from this you know, epistle itself. Number one, those who are born of God keep his commandments. That's what 1 John 2 3 and 4 tells us, isn't it? You know, if a person says, I know him, does, doesn't keep his commandments, he's a liar. Also, secondly, those who are born of God walk as Christ walked. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says, you know, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way as he walked. Thirdly, those who are born of God don't hate others, but love them. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, hey, that's not true. He's still in darkness. Number 4, those who are born of God don't love the world. Chapter 2, verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Number 5, those who are born of God confess the Son and receive him into their lives. Chapter 2, verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Number six, those who are born of God practice righteousness. Chapter 2, verse 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Number seven, those who are born of God don't make a practice of sinning. If we abide in him and if we keep on sinning, he says, We have not seen him or known him. Chapter 3 and verse 6. Number eight, those who are born of God possesses the spirit of God. Chapter 3 and verse 22, 24, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. Number nine, those who are born of God listen submissively to God's word. Chapter 4 verse 6 says, you know, whoever knows God listens to us, whoever is not of God does not listen. Number 10, those who are born of God believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is what we are learning in this verse. Now, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And chapter 5, verse 4 says, those who are born of God overcomes the world. Simple test to find out 
whether we have really genuinely made the commitment. Then in verse 2, it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we obey his commandments. In other words, there's a horizontal love for God. There's also there's a vertical love for God and also a horizontal love for his children as well. <laughs> Remember, when a birth takes place, the individual involved is not born in isolation, nor is the child a totally and a unique individual in the sense that his characteristic and attributes have no connection with those people who have gone before or no connection with his parents or his grandparents or he doesn't have any genes from his lineage. Why? Because if he's born into that family, then he has that identification of the parents and also when you're thinking about you know, the siblings, okay? So, he or she possesses at least some of the characteristics of the one who has engendered him. Spiritually, that means that the child of God must exhibit those characteristics you know, from whom his birth has come. Simple thing, isn't it? And the scripture tells us here the first characteristic is love, both for the parent as well as for the other children. So if you're born of God, we should have characteristics, you know, of the one whom has given us birth. And if we're born of God, we also should have the love for our siblings who are part of the family. This is why in verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So he's concluding this particular section now by saying, look here, yes, so far I've been saying, how do you know you're a believer? You have the belief, God does his work, you obey, which shows that you have genuinely believed that God has done his work, and you are able to love one another when you are thinking about the love that God has shown for you. And then he says, this is the love of God, that you obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Obedience to his command to love God and to love our neighbor should be a delight and should not be a dread should be a delight and not be a dread uh, and not be a dread john knows that disobedience to god's command is far more detrimental or of serious consequences than obedience is oftentimes we speak about the cost of discipleship the cost of following jesus but think for a moment the cost of not following jesus if we say, this is what God's word says, I have to obey my, his commandment, this is too grievous, you know, this is too burdensome. What's the option? What's the cost of not following? The not following. Dallas Willard puts it across this way in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. To depart from righteousness is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures, and disappointments. A life caught in the toils of endless problems that are never really solved. This is the other option. If we say God's command is too burdensome, is too grievous, what's the other option? You know, the other option, if we don't respond to what God says, it's going to be an endless problems that are never really solved. Now, when you think about this word, you know, burdensome, you know, people think, you know, you know oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. God has said now. 
I'm a believer, I have to do this. It's not a question of you have to do this. It's not a question of a duty bound. It's not a question of this is a weight on my shoulder constantly. If I don't do this, I'll get into trouble. No, we do this because of our love for God. It is a delight and not a burden. A delight and not a burden. And this is the important thing over here. When you are speaking about you know, uh, obeying God's commands, obeying God's commands comes because we want to, not because we have to. And that basically is a difference between a genuine believer and a person who says he's a believer. A person who says he's a believer, he says, oh, I have to do this, I have to go to church, I have to read my Bible, I have to share, I have to do this, I have to do that. It's like a have to. But a person whom God has done his work in his or her life says, I want to, I want to. This is what Psalm 40 verse to 8 tells us, isn't it? He says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. Psalm 119 verse 24 says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. You know? Psalm 119 verse 92 says, lead me in the path of your commandment, for I delight in it. Ask yourself this evening, following after God, is it a delight? Is it a joy? Or is it a burden? God's commandments are not burdensome because we have a new nature that has the power to obey. It is God's spirit in us that gives us the delight, that gives us the joy, that gives us the wanting to do what God, what pleases God. Secondly, God's commandments are not burdensome because they are the commands of God and not of man. God has put that tenor. This is what you have to do. And his commands, when he says, you know, this is his command, then they are not burdensome because he has said it. If he has said this is what you have to do, then he is also going to empower you to do it. He does never give us a command in which he doesn't empower us also to do his word as well. So, these are the signs that John is emphasizing here to check up, you know, to find out, does our life really show to God that we really love him? His commandments, does it bring not just joy in our hearts, but also delight to the heart of God? Is it a burdensome approach that we have? I have to do it. Or is it a delight? I want to do it that John continues to give us in his word in the Bible. And my prayer is that as we have opportunities like this, this would be self-examination times to check up. Because remember, God is the one who does his work. And when God is the one who gives us birth, there's no unbirthing whatsoever. But also, if God is the one who's done this work, then we should show resemblance of himself in our lives and we should also be happy with our fellow siblings in the family of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.